Frank, you know, last week I got really excited talking about ARKit and talking about kind of these new APIs inside of iOS. And I know people are probably going to be like, oh, yet another iOS 11 conversation. <laughs> but I can't help myself. I started downloading and playing around even more with the Seeing AI application. For listeners that don't know what Seeing AI is, it's essentially an application from Microsoft that that essentially will help um people that have are visually impaired see the world around them using this application. So what it does, it uses machine learning and plenty of cognitive services via Microsoft to use the camera features and sensor features on an iPhone to scan in real time the surrounding and vocally um, read back what it is. So I was at this one week thing last week and I could go and I could you know scan the computer sitting on a desk and it would say, looks like a computer turned on sitting on a desk. But you can even go further and you can have um, um, put people in, in, in there or put other images in there. So I could essentially see my face and see it coming in in real time. And it kind of blew my mind. And the thing is, I have no idea how any of this works. And you, Frank, are a genius because you came to our user group and you presented on iOS 11 and you use some amazing core ML, which is core machine learning. I assume that's what the ML is for. And you were able to do something very similar in a very short amount of time where you could scan the audience, but also you scanned a wall clock and a dialogue box box came up and it said, this is a wall clock. How does it know it's a wall clock? I don't understand. How does this work? Frank, I need some help. Can you help me? I don't know. I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Are computers taking over now at this point? Yeah, yeah. The doom has come. AI is back until AI goes away again. AI <laughs> AI has a way of, uh, you know, popping its head up and laughing at us. But yeah, uh, the demos are getting good, right? And not even demos. The apps are getting good. And uh, I, I'm right there with you. I love the Seeing app. So much so that I was writing one like it, I think I mentioned. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, especially when you talk about something like ARKit, where we just keep coming up with entertainment uses. Mm -hmm. uh, it's nice to think of technology that actually is an enabler. It gives you better senses. And it's not just for the Seeing Impaired. I'm having great fun with just the Seeing app with uh, just my friends. Like, what is my friend truly? Deep down, what do the machines <laughs> think of my friend? You know, you, you want to know the machine's opinion. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So we're going to do an episode on it. Are we going to, we're going to get nitty gritty down into the mathematics? Well, I said I wanted to get technical, technical. <laughs> well, I want to get a little bit technical without geeking out too much. Because I think the problem that I, I went to a lot of, when I was at Google I.O., I went to a lot of TensorFlow mm -hmm. um, sessions. And uh, I think Heather was doing some machine learning stuff with TensorFlow or researching it. And she's also done a lot of modeling with R, for instance. So she did some analysis. I think I've mentioned on the podcast before some um, analysis of the most popular lakes of the Great Lakes. Uh, we have this big debate. It is definitely Lake Erie. Makes sense. Uh, it's the greatest lake that there is. She <laughs> likes to believe in her mind that Lake Superior is the superior lake. As nope. she points out, it's literally in the name. Uh, <laughs> however, so she did a, a Twitter, um, you know, thing where she could like oh. see the positive and negative things and kind of do learning based off words and other stuff like <laughs> that. But this is the first time where like it's all about the visuals and and actually seeing the world around you because I kind of understand the the analysis of words that we can say this is a good word, this is a bad mm -hmm. word and and the actual connotation that each of them have when you're looking for keywords. But it kind of blows my mind in trying to understand how I could sit here and take the seeing AI, AI app and be like yeah. scan this little Qbert 
little machine that I have here. I have a little arcade machine and it would probably tell me that it looks like an arcade machine or something like that. I'm sure. But like, like I don't understand how that works. Well, it's funny. You actually gave a a tricky introduction there because you started um, with something I think we're all kind of familiar with is statistics. Uh, That's Mm. what the, our programming language is awesome at. It's a big data processing and modeling language. So once you've collected enough data about something, you can start to form statistics about it. Um, You know, uh, 50% of people are happy, 50% are sad, and you can start generating a model from that. Maybe if you live in, you know, the city, you're happy, the city, you're sad. And we've been doing that for years you know forever since we've had the census we've been learning how to do um data like that but the big change has been what people keep calling big data deep learning and that's where um (laughs) and people are going to hate me for this but it's kind of the truth we just kind of threw a lot of that statistics stuff out uh it was too hard to come up with good models that fit things statistics had just gotten very complicated and instead what we turned to was a more general purpose computation device and that's called the neural network we kind of modeled the human brain not at all it's not at all near the complexity of a human brain but we got the basic structure from that and the the trick of it is though um, it's a general purpose machine and you need to train it and so instead of uh, manually collecting statistics now we just try to collect lots of data throw it the throw it at a model or try to train a model, try to train this general purpose machine to get it to do what we want. Okay. So let me unpack that. Let me unpack that, Frank, because training the model is what I hear over and over again. In fact, I was watching the latest Imagine Cup. Uh, Imagine Cup is, uh, do you know about Imagine Cup? Only, only the highest level you you take over. Tell me about it. Microsoft does this thing called Imagine Cup where they go to schools and colleges and they let these kids essentially come up with the most revolutionary things using Microsoft technology. I think they might even be able to go outside of that technology, but they usually fit inside the Microsoft technology scope. Sure. And the top four were some really amazing things. Uh, the actual winner actually built a Xamarin app, which is really cool, with a custom-built glucose monitor, something like Hanselman would have. And right. they built an entire um, kind of learning ups and downs of, of when to monitor glucose. But... The one that was really interesting to me, they're from Argentina, I want to believe. They were using a network of drones to scan (laughs) um, uh, the landscape to help people that were in distress or whatever. Love it. (laughs) And when there was a natural disaster, they could go and they could use this. And they were talking about building their model. And the question they got from the actual judges was, did they, you know, is their model trained yet? How did they train their model and how Mm. are they doing false positives? So from my understanding, from what from sitting, listening to you at our user group is that a model is a bunch. I think you drew it on a piece of paper for me, maybe or someone (laughs) did. But essentially, you throw a bunch of stuff in a bunch of stuff, a a bajillion images, like a thousand images. And you're trying to teach it one thing, like, is this a dog? Yes or no. (laughs) So which is a complex thing. It's a very complex, abstract concept. But we want Mm -hmm. a simple answer back. Yes or no. Yes. You want a yes or a no. And you do that over and over and over again with all these images. And I guess there's like some flow of, of what did you say? I think you sat down and drew this for me, like going back and forth of yes and no and how it gets into it. I mean, am I, and, well, and that's how you train it, right? You can continuously train yeah. a model. Yep. Let's take one step back and just 
briefly say what a model is. A model is us trying to simplify data into something that we can make predictions from. So if I have a bunch of plotted data, just imagine your old XY graph and you plot a bunch of data. And if it's linear, then you can draw a line through it. There may be noise because, you know, people lie or the sampling's wrong. But we do this all the time in Excel. We just, we plot fit a little line to the data. Mm. That line is a model of that data. It's trying to summarize everything that you could possibly know about that data without having the data. But even better than that, you can make predictions from it. You can Mm. pick a point that you don't have data for, and if the model is accurate to the thing it's representing, then it will give you an... (laughs) It's like a function. It will give you another accurate representation. Good data in, good data out. You need a good model. It's that same exact concept. It's just a plot fit, except instead of uh, that plot fit has two parameters it has to fulfill, uh, slope and y-intercept, a real model has millions and tens of millions of parameters it's trying to figure out. And you do it just by feeding it more and more data. Got it. So if you wanted to find out if something was a hot dog or not, you would feed <laughs> it more information about hot dogs and not hot dogs. Not hot dogs. Yeah, that's the trick. Uh, you, you can't just teach it hot dog because then it'll just think everything's a hot dog. So what you have to do as a human being is collect a bunch of images some that are hot dogs and some that aren't. And here's a trick. How many of those images should be hot dogs and how many shouldn't be hot dogs? So when you're training something yes or no like that, you immediately get into complex questions and uh, maybe even fundamental questions about knowledge and things like that. But anyway, you have to make a decision. So maybe you'll do a 50-50 split. Uh, Half the pictures have a hot dog, half of them don't. And at that point, you just label the pictures. This one has a hot dog, this one doesn't. And What people have developed now are um, standard neural networks um, that with standard training programs. And if you jam your data into the right format and throw it at a training program for one of these neural networks, you will train that network to recognize a hot dog or not. Got it. So you may not have to necessarily build the entire structure. You can use existing neural networks that have been specifically designed for this. Right. There are networks that are known to be good at certain things, mm-hmm. and they're known to have certain sizes. Um, AlexNet, ooh, I, hope, I hope I'm getting that one right. There's a famous one, mm-hmm. I think, from Google. And it was famous because it did a wonderful job at this one set of images that they trained it on. In that case, it was learning something like a thousand different categories. So not just hot dog or not, but hot dog, dog, you know, car, <laughs> plane, boat, all those things. Uh, but that model has a certain, I'm going to say topology. It's, it's such a big, ugly, dumb word. Um, let's say structure. But you don't have to worry about that. You just have to know the attributes of AlexNet. It can do up to about a thousand different things, and it's this size. There are other models. I introduced uh, SqueezeNet <laughs> to the group, mm-hmm. and I, I like it mostly because it has a wonderful name, but also because it's a five megabyte model. They can also recognize about a thousand different things. And yeah. so there's, there's trade-offs. So you pick, a, you pick a structure and you train it. If you're a scientist, you can make your own structures, but not many of us are there. Are there use cases for these models outside of image recognition? I think we tried to talk a little bit about this before, but it seems like every, even all the models on Apple's machine learning, which is SqueezeNet, yeah. Places 205, ResNet, Inception, and VGG 16 yeah. <laughs> with great names of these models. Yeah. These are already models you can download and use today. So you're just like, oh, I'm just going to put this in my app and I'm done. But all of them are essentially doing the same thing. Yes, I think they're just doing yeah. the same thing, right? I didn't look at all of them. Yeah. Well, 
in the world of neural networks, of because there are so many different structures of them, some of the common structures have gotten names, and we know these structures are good at certain tasks. Mm. So the big neural networks that are hot these days are called CNNs, convolutional neural networks, and people love them because they're very good at 2D data, and what's 2D data? Pictures. So CNNs are really good at recognizing patterns and objects in pictures, and the the downside is they're huge <laughs> these these networks they're deep learning and they're hard to compute so when apple introduced core ml and wanted to show off what you can do on the device of course you do something with images because that's the most costly one images are hard to transfer over the internet i don't say it mean hard they're easy but they're slow to transfer it takes time, it takes time yeah. yeah especially if you do video what if you want to do something special on every video frame you'd have to upload the entire video to a server download it back you know so when you want to show off you do something with images and that's why you keep seeing a lot of cnns around but there's another kind of uh important neural network called an rnn a recurrent neural network and what these are good at is learning time series so things that change over time so uh, the uh, the sun rises and the sun sets. It can learn that pattern very easily. It can learn text. It can learn structure from text. And so you get a lot of your um, uh, <laughs> what's sentiment analysis. That's the word. Sentiment. So you could take like you could take all of you. I mean, there's there's things. I listened to Roderick on the lot, and I know you do too. Oh, but yeah, you just had a one about kind of documenting the entire life. But they've had other ones about. Um, he's talked a lot about there's these farmers that have documented every little thing about their crops and the weather conditions and this and that you, I mean, that's just handwritten stuff, but we also have essentially this entire archive of information of all these events, every hurricane, every time it's rained, every, you know, movement of the sun and and where the patterns of the eclipse in August that are going to be amazing that I can't Mm -hmm. wait to go to. Mm -hmm. And then we can, can we throw that data that needs to then go into a model and start to to learn and then can predict things? Can these models predict things too? Oh, well, that's actually the whole point of a model. There is Mm. absolutely no reason to construct a model unless you're going to try to do prediction. Otherwise, you just consult the data. Interpolation, extrapolation, looking at data points you don't have covered and data points outside of what you have covered. And that's essentially what it's doing with an image is it's trying to predict yes or no, or, or what it is based on the model. Based on its input, given an image it's never seen before, can it use what it's learned in the past to figure out what it is? So with these, That's the trick. with the recurrent neural network, could the idea be here where essentially here's every single hurricane given this date Yeah. in the future, tell <laughs> me what's going to happen? Uh, I, I want to say yes, because the example is correct. Time series data. Yes, okay. yes. I just want to make uh, sure my problem is weather. <laughs> yes, correct. yes, yes. Time series, correct. But, um, the problem is with weather is it's weather. It's very complex. It's a chaotic system. It's hard to predict. So sure. the, the networks aren't particularly good at, I mean, they're getting better at doing weather. I, I've been training one to do weather, actually. Uh, but you, you nailed it. It's things that change over time. And that's what they're good at figuring out. So yes, your stock market. Oh, you, you should totally, you know, devote your life to learning RNNs and take over the stock market. But <laughs> yes, it's I not going to happen. Because <laughs> yeah. there's, there's, there's other outside forces that are occurring that aren't 
exactly the same. I think that the idea of the sun and moon coming up like that is something that is relatively consistent over time. Right. Yeah. Uh, whereas, yeah, the stock market or me waking up and eating cereal versus yogurt. Actually, that might be predictable. I bet um, you it is. <laughs> Humans are you, very predictable. <laughs> and then if you could add other attributes saying like how much cereal and how much almond milk is in the fridge and in the cupboard at this time. Yeah. That would be then interesting to know. Then you're trying to make it useful. Like the model can predict you out. The model can say in two weeks, we're going to be out of cereal or something like that. Mm. And it can do that for pretty much anything. The only thing it can't do it for is chaotic systems. And everything's chaotic at some point, but ignore those for the moment. The idea is if you feed it enough data and enough variety of data, and it's a large enough structure, and the structure itself is capable of storing the data, there are different structures, uh, and you have to have a good one, that theoretically, yes, it could it could probably figure out pretty much any pattern. All right, Obviously, got it. It can't store random information that would take an infinitely complex neural network, but moving on. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk a little bit more about cloud versus device versus like kind of why everyone's so excited about actually core ML, like what makes it special, because I know Google is also talking about a few things I don't want to talk about. But let's take a quick break, Frank, and let's talk about our amazing sponsor this week. You know them. You love them. I use them in all my applications. It's our good friends over at Syncfusion. I love Syncfusion. They make over 850 components and enterprise products from big data reporting, dashboards, data integration, charts, graphs, list views, crazy optimized controls for every single platform. Whether you're building iOS, Android, Xamarin, web applications, Windows applications, you name it, they have beautiful controls for you. In fact, I was just looking through their brand new um Essential Studio for Xamarin and some of the new things. I've talked a little bit about the Sunburst and the data grids that they have, but I actually keep telling people, hey, are you doing Word or Excel or PDF viewing or actually editing and creation? You can do it with Syncfusion. It's one of the top things that I get. In fact, they have a brand new PDF viewer. They handle all of the PDF viewing for you automatically and the entire control and structuring going through pages. You just add a PDF viewer cross-platform and you're done. What's awesome about Syncfusion is that they have all these controls and they have an awesome community license. If you're a small company or an individual developer making under a million dollars a year, guess what? Everything's free. Awesome. I mean, you don't have to pay for it. It's completely free. If you're in a big enterprise and you're making over a million dollars, they have a flat fee license for you and your company. To check out Syncfusion and all of their awesome controls, go to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. That's syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. You're going to love them. I love them. Go and make awesome applications with these beautiful controls. Thanks, Syncfusion. Yeah, always thanks, Syncfusion. So good. I love them. <laughs> All right. So talking about this, right? So I brought up a few things before I went to into the short break, which is when I was at Google I.O., and I'll keep bringing it back because I learned, I wanted, I was really interested yeah. in machine learning. So I went to a bunch of sessions that I didn't understand anything. And the one they were talking about was TensorFlow Lite, which is TensorFlow is their machine learning thing. What's it called? <laughs> a thing? In this program. case, it's really just a collection of math libraries that can mm -hmm. implement a neural network. So it is something you can build a model in, but it's still kind of low level. You need to know how to build the structure of the model. You need to, from the neuron up, build that neural network. Got it. And they wanted to do that. Right now, it's done in the cloud, like mm -hmm. somewhere. <laughs> I assume. <laughs> so what they wanted to do is that I think they're finding that 
these models are extremely helpful on the device, which is what TensorFlow Lite is supposed to do in their libraries for iOS and Android. And you can also see this with things like cognitive services, which are cloud-based um, actual um, um, learning things from Microsoft. I love cognitive services. I'll put it in there. So you can scan a receipt and it'll OCR it and tell you all the text on mm -hmm. it, or you can you know, scan a photo and tell you how happy you are, for instance. And some of those libraries they can do on, on the device too. But I think that's the thing is you're seeing more of on the device. And is it just that CoreML like but crushed it and it's like just the best thing ever because Apple <laughs> made it and then it's done. Is it like, no, is it like AR kit where there's been other augmented reality things, but Apple's all like, boom, mic drop, we win. <laughs> this is actually Apple's second attempt at it. Uh, their first run was these things called metal performance shaders, but the mm. API was just a little bit too low level. Even people knew that knew neural networks had a little trouble with them. And I'm, you know, saying everyone is me at that point. <laughs> um, so there, but there's differences. Um, I, I, I almost want to give a shout out to cloud first. There are things the cloud can do that we just, that makes sense to do on the cloud. So we've, I've, we've already said that you train a neural network to do a specific task. Well, that, or to make a certain prediction, you might want to have multiple neural networks and each one of these networks takes up a lot of space. Mm -hmm. And so you can't just keep loading all these things onto the phone. So where the cloud can shine is by having a variety of networks and things like that, which maybe you could like hot download to the phone and swap back, you know, just caching and all that. But just keep in mind that that phones have a size <laughs> and, we're, we're and also the size. app store will only let you give you a certain size like you may hit right. the actual limit at some yeah. point right 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 and then uh, uh to add to that there is the depth of the model the actual size of the model our devices still only have about two gigabytes of ram on them and if you have, fortunately, none of our models are really that big these days, but we do have 500 megabyte models going around. And so it's just a matter of time before the model is actually too big to execute on the device in a reason. Got it. Because it'll just literally crash it, right? It's like, yeah, I'm out, done. know where to load it to because <laughs> it needs to be, the way it all works is they all ship all the memory off to the GPU. So the mm -hmm. GPU can do all the computations. So you need at least that much graphics memory to fit the model. So that's that's the good reasons for the cloud. But yeah, it's awesome that it's on the device. That's what has me so excited because I don't necessarily want to run my own servers. I don't want to pay Microsoft for servers. I understand how neural networks work. It's just a lot of math routines. And, yeah. you know, computers can do math. That's the one thing they're good at. So it's always just felt right for some of it to execute on the device. And yeah, Core ML, I'd say um, it uh, a, a good <laughs> I don't know baseball. It turns out I, they got to at least the first base. <laughs> well, all, yeah, they at least yeah they at least got the first base, and I think also CoreML really fits into Google or sorry Apple. Right when you think of Apple, <laughs> when you think of their devices, and when you think about how they craft APIs and services, they do it with security in mind, and mm. it makes a lot of sense that hey, their next or their second attempt, as you're saying, of an actual. <laughs> machine learning API yeah. where they put machine learning in the name is that it's going to be done on device. All of the data and everything is in the user's control and the user comes first, right? Where yeah. uh, if you're using the core ML libraries, 
that information is not leaving the device, which I think is what Apple really stressed when you look at the WWDC videos of the security in mind, just like when they implemented iCloud and the iCloud photo synchronization of, hey, what's kind of crazy is I feel like they've been using those, they must be using those low-level metal APIs for machine learning because they're doing machine learning on your photos on your devices, but also they're they're using a device network. You know how they do this, right? Like if you have five iPads and iPhones, they'll, they'll use all of them to like crunch numbers like in the background together. I did not know they're uh, going the distributed route. That's I'm pretty sure special. they do. <laughs> Someone, a listener, correct me. But I'm pretty sure that I heard. Um, I, li- I like the story, so I don't. I don't even want to hear the correction. Let's just go with it. It Apple sounds like something there. Apple would do. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> mm, where to go from there? Well, I mean, is, is that kind of the thing that you see CoreML having an advantage of over the cloud services? Or do you think, I mean, I like to ask you these questions because you're someone that's actually doing this. Like, I'm, I would like to believe that I'll do CoreML at one day, but until <laughs> I find a use case that I need to have done, and you, you've pointed at many, but is it that we'll only use on-device things? Is there the huge advantages of it? Like, what what are the advantages, or will it be a hybrid approach, do you think? In the long future, it'll most definitely be a hybrid approach. You'll be downloading models and executing them. I mean, these models are going to do everything. They're going to be photo filters is the next big one. So, like, Snapchat will be just mm-hmm. taking over with these. And, like I said, it'd be kind of silly to just keep a bunch of these models stored around. Um, but the... And so the cloud's always going to be there. <laughs> But I just, the, the security reasons, gray, all these, but for me, it's just the latency. I just want the instantaneous response um, because these are fast little devices. And we were talking about the seeing app in the very beginning. And one of my little pet peeves with it is that you still have to tap the screen. It's not really walking you through things. It's still a pretty manual thing. And that's because it sometimes has, has to upload data to the web server. I'm sure it does in a secure fashion and all that, but there's still that delay. And I just want to be in the future where everything's instantaneous. I'm horribly impatient and I just want the answer right now. So, I mean, just from a gut feel, that's what I'm excited about with it. Yeah, well, maybe I'll try to reach out to the team to see if they'll come on the podcast. That'd be kind of fun because um, I know when they were building it, they were using the the actual metal APIs from my understanding is all built in Xamarin. So this is and, a big yeah. app that does a lot of things. And so mm-hmm. my best guess is they do some things on server and some things on device. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's already a hybrid app because um, some things do actually come back instantaneously. So that would be fun to pick their brains. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. Cause I'm looking, if I pull up the app currently, right? So if I go in here and we think about the different use cases for machine learning, they have text, document scanning products mm-hmm. oops i'm using the app so it might speak to us product person <laughs> and then scenes and i think scenes is the most interesting to me because it's going to tell you the entire like you're outside it's a sunny day and there's a dog and 10 people you know what i mean it's it's setting yeah. up what's around you and some of it it does in real time but others yeah you have to click a button and sends it i think also the consideration there is the um, data too if you think about the data not only i mean is it better to have one big install or to be continuously <laughs> updating right. and uploading the data, right? And I yeah. think for some things, you're going to have to. Well, in fact, um, the latest beta, ooh, NDA, everyone's under NDA, right? <laughs> the latest beta fixed a little bug where um, you can actually download core ML models uh, mm. now, whereas before you had to have them um, pre-compiled 
uh, by some magical program on your uh, desktop computer. But that's all been, that limitation's been removed. And so you can now dynamically load models. So I think it's pretty obvious that that's the direction everyone's going. And I should also mention that one of the models, Apple doesn't ship any models with CoreML, but they link to some models that you can easily download and add to your app. It's it's super cool. Uh, And one of them is called Places 205. And it has 205 scenes, just like you're describing. So a lot of these demos that you see are like, you know, hot dog or not, but that's dumb. What you really want to know is like a presence. <laughs> like uh, you are five feet away from a road. There are 10,000 cars on the road. Don't move. <laughs> you know, something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. You don't need to say like, oh, there's a car in front of you. But uh, so th- that's a, just a fun model to get started with also because, yeah, it's, it's usually more accurate than the object ones too. Turns out there's a lot of different objects in the world. There, there's quite a few. I heard there's at least 250 or at least a thousand because that seems to be the number that a lot of these things have settled on. Now, when you got started with machine learning, like I know it's a lot of math and I love math, so I can understand the mathematical part of it. But I think mm-hmm. what confuses me and maybe you can maybe our listeners can chime in, too, on this because, you know, we love feedback um, via the show is that. I think what scares me is that they start talking about these neural networks. They start talking about feeding the data and creating these models. And it looks just very scary. Like I remember this like para, this like pyramid funnel of these networks, like doing stuff. I'm like, that just looks like, do I, do I have to become a data scientist to understand this? Like what, what, well, let's say the average (laughs) developer. Yeah. They want to go out and they want to go use this stuff. Like, do I got to be, a data scientist genius to go do this? <laughs> I have good news for you. You absolutely <laughs> do not need to be. Um, the problem is it's a young field, and this field came out of academia, came from the mathematicians and the statistician. So guess what? It has a very heavy math bend to it, and they all discourse in mathematics, and they still, you know, it's just all there. All the jargon is still left over. The good news is the concepts are plain, dumb, simple concepts. Once you learn how to actually draw a neural network, you'll actually start building your own structures because you'll understand what the different structures do and that kind of thing. All that said, uh, it's a young field and the tools are terrible. Mm -hmm. Just god awful. So... I mean, where to even begin? So is it kind of like is it kind of like the early years of mobile development where you're just like, yeah. how do I put anything together? Oh my god, does any of this Doesn't work? work? Like, yeah, when you get Hello World working in machine learning, you're like, I am God. I have just it's created a- the universe. It's like when you get a IoT device and you get a blinking light for the first time. Yes, you're like, oh my yes. goodness, everything is in the right place. I'm an and I get this light to blink. Yeah, yeah. So like, you can joke about hot dog or not, but you go train a model to do hot dog or not. It's not so easy. (laughs) Um, Okay, so the tooling, the tooling. Um, For historical reasons, a lot of this is all written in Python. And for even worse historical reasons, there are no GUIs for any of it. Even like websites that are supposed to be web apps to help you build neural networks. They all just have a command line interface to Python scripts that you have to execute. It's terrible. It's ridiculous. It's pathetic. But it's what things are. So you have to learn... um, Basically, you pick a library. So you mentioned TensorFlow. Um, That came from Google. And people, people liked TensorFlow. It was good. But it ended up being a little too complex, so they put a wrapper over it called Keras, K-E-R-A-S. And that's that's a pretty 
well uh, utilized one. I mean, a lot of people use it. And so that's a good one to learn, but you still got to learn it's terrible language, it's terrible model file formats, it's <laughs> terrible bindings. Now, good news to .NET developers, we're finally getting .NET bindings to Keras. So hopefully simplify some of that work. But that's all if you want to make your own model. If you want to grab someone else's model and train it on data that you're, you know, take someone else's model and train it with your data, not their data, your data, trying to solve a problem for you, you're still going to have to learn all their stupid Python scripts and all that stuff. It's terrible. Got it. Yeah. And you know, I love command line to begin yeah. with. You know, I love that. And you <laughs> know, I love Python. It's probably my favorite programming language to program in. So when you combine those two worlds of command line interfaces and the the beautiful right. programming <laughs> language of Python, I think you really see a field that I see myself becoming a, a master in. Okay, let me stop you. I actually do like Python. It's a fine language and the community around it is excellent. But the fact is you're going to be on a lot of GitHub sites, reading a lot of readmes, installing Linux drivers and doing all sorts of stuff. If anyone wants to join me to write a better app to do this, I think I'm thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I mean, I think, well, that's it's kind of exciting field to be in then because, you know, you started early on in mobile development and I started relatively early on in mobile development, 2011. So it's pretty early on, I want to say. Mm -hmm. I like to say that I was on the, the frontier of mobile development. I was still targeting Android 1.x devices. Thank you very much. Um, nice. Yeah, I think I think that's how you can say like I'm old. I'm an I'm an old school mobile developer is like when you're targeting um, no, when you're targeting score skeuomorphism <laughs> design to begin with, and then also targeting uh, Android 1.x. Um, God, yeah. So it, it's that world, and and the the GUIs are even worse than in that world. Um, you're, you're yeah. Collecting training data is probably the hardest part about this. If you talk to any data scientist, they'll tell you they spend 90% of their time just collecting training data, labeling data, getting it into a form that you can feed into one of these idiotic Python training scripts, <laughs> just massaging data, you know, get, exporting it from Excel, all that sorts of stuff, and just managing files. So that's it. Whenever I want to train a new network, I spend a few days collecting all the data then I write a script that executes someone else's script that <laughs> feeds it into a training script. Uh, they, they churn, 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 churn. It takes a while sometimes. And when it's done, it outputs it into a brand new model file for you. The trick is there's obviously no standard in model file formats because that would make life too easy. But Apple introduced a new standard. <laughs> called, um, <laughs> that was a joke. Hopefully you got it. Uh, I got it. <laughs> so, we got secrets. Yeah. Uh, they introduced the new standard and you can convert uh, your model to their format so long as you use Keras or some other uh, different models that they happen to support. Do you think and, that other things like TensorFlow will then adopt this new model? Because ideally, I want to create one model that's ever, I don't want to have to convert it all over the place, right? It's the Wild West, though. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. uh, just because you can, we've standardized some parts. Like I keep saying, there's a structure to a neural network. Well, it gets decomposed into things called layers. And these layers have certain types. Uh, there's a convolutional layer. There's a, a threshold layer. And we like to say that all these engines agree on exactly how these layers work. But you know how it is. There's always going to be some incompatibilities. And so Apple's flat out says, uh, we'll convert your model for you, but you have to test it. 
And that's the truth. So I try to stick with what everyone else is doing. This is not a place in the world where I want to be a rebel. If everyone's <laughs> using Karas, I use Karas. If everyone's using Python, I use Python begrudgingly, uh, except for when it comes to writing the real app. Got it. Okay. Okay. So what are my Ooh. next steps, I guess? Is it just that I have to go? <laughs> well, let's talk about creating seeing AI. What would you have to do? You would have mm-hmm. to uh, go collect um 10,000 photos and handle label them. Uh, this one has text in it. This one does not have text in it. This one has text in it. Then you trained a network that can detect text. Now you have to train a network that can read text, that can OCR it, convert it into data. And that's a whole nother network. So you train that one. So that's one part of the app. Now you want to do the person recognizer. Now you have to take 100,000 photos, label all those with the type of person, their age, uh, all that stuff. And you train a network for that. And you repeat and you repeat and you just keep creating new networks that solve different little problems. And then you can build an app around that. And I think got it. And, it's, what seeing AI is. and if anyone is wondering, that was me playing with seeing AI, which is not a good thing to do when you're <laughs> doing a podcast. What, what, what did it say? I missed it. It was, I think it said like, like a pen sitting on a desk. Excellent. <laughs> and I didn't even do anything. I just opened the app and it was like pen sitting on a desk. And I was like, oh my goodness. Well, um, see, I actually like that. I, I think when for an app like this, this shine, it should be a little bit of a companion, you know, mm-hmm. just being like, hey, yo, there's a pen on your desk. You know, you shouldn't have to prompt it constantly. I like that. Yeah, it's just very true. Yeah, that's very cool. That makes a lot of sense of kind of breaking it down and deconstructing into these little bite sizes of I want to do this thing. All right, let me go figure out how to do create this model. Go learn about that, whether it's text or images or voice or anything else. I assume that you can do this for any type of data that's out there. It could be written words. It could be images. It could be voiced. I mean, there's there's other bits as long as you can get a one or a zero at the end of the day, right? Yeah, and you'll be, uh, for most data out there, you'll probably be using the RNNs, the recurrent neural networks. Uh, the convolutional neural networks are good for images and basically images. <laughs> they're, they're designed for 2D data. Whereas most of the data that we comprehend and that we care about is time-varying. It's simple like that. Got it. That makes sense. All right, I'm going to go try to create the next most amazing neural network this weekend. Good luck. I've, I've, I've been trying. I'm actually feeling a tiny bit of regret with Core ML. Um, I trained this big network and I was so proud of it. I did all the Python scripts. I got it converted. I wrote an app around it that could actually load the model and send it the data correctly. And then when Core ML tried to load it, it said error. And what was oh, the no. error? Cannot load model. <laughs> Tell me anything more? No. No. Cannot load model. <laughs> Remember I when think this is a model their own tool made for me. But <laughs> again, these tools are early on, as you were yeah. saying. <laughs> Wild West, people. Wild West. <laughs> so good. All right. So anything else we got? Any any other machine learning goodness that you want to Oh, I, I think we did enough damage. I can't wait to get the feedback from all the mathematicians tell me all the terrible things I did. And speaking of feedback, do you have anything for us? I love I love hearing from the listeners. Has anyone sent us anything? There are. We got some good comments. When you go to mergeconflict.fm, you can leave a comment on any of the shows, notes in general. And we also uh, got some from there, some from Twitter. And of course, we got a few via email, too. When you go to mergeconflict.fm, there's a contact if you have something really long that you want to send us. Well, the first one is actually via Twitter. Our good friend Carl over on the MS MS Dev Show. Uh, This isn't necessarily actually a question for Merge Conflict (laughs) FM. 
But you tweeted uh, a week or so ago that you have some magic in your ears, a.k.a. AirPods are finally <laughs> in your ears. And Carl oh. wanted a, a review on the podcast. So Ooh. I challenge you to give your end-all, be-all review of the AirPods in under 60 seconds. Ooh, I thought you were going to say 30 seconds. <laughs> uh, the review. You can lose them. They disappear. They just vanish. You can be looking at them. You could be staring at them, and it'll just vanish. It's very creepy. I b- now believe in poltergeists. I think I could talk about for about 30 more seconds about how they just disappear, but that should be the overriding knowledge here is they will vanish on you. The battery is not too bad. It lasts for as long as I feel like listening to podcasts, but I find it really annoying when it stops playing my podcast because the battery died. I don't like carrying around the Tic Tac box because, again, I lose things all the time. All that said, I think they're absolutely wonderful and I won't ever go back to the wired headphones. (laughs) They connected just fine. They work great. They sound fine. They stay in my ears, except for when they're just randomly vanishing. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, everyone that I know that has them really seems to like them. Uh, I've been in debates of getting like some of the new beats beats x which are wireless uh, because i know eventually that my headphone jack is gonna go away whatever the next (laughs) phone i get is it won't exist so i'm gonna have to go and was that part of the motivation to get it because there is no uh honestly i just i was getting tired of the wire itself Mm. i i got some big bose headphones and i absolutely love the bluetooth headphones but i i actually like the form factor the apple earpod itself i've always found them comfortable and they stay in my ears very well so i've just liked them so i was excited to try them uh the the bluetooth wireless whatever whatever the heck techno technology it's using is excellent on them uh it's amazing how well they work Nice. I like that. I'm going to have to try. I want to try them out at some point, but it's really weird to ask your friend, hey, can I try your AirPods really quick and then <laughs> shove your earwax in my earwax? It's very intimate. <laughs> it is an intimate experience. And I will say, like, I used to be a headphone person. I don't know if you, if anyone knows me. I used to be a headphone mm-hmm. person, big junkie of these huge headphones, all these different things. And I've now just like, I'm just into putting like little earbuds in. I don't know, not yeah. carrying things around. I've I've swapped. So I think these might be of interest to me, but um yeah i have an iphone I, but i mostly just wish they were cheaper so when i lose them i won't feel so bad but <laughs> the question surprised. is can you just go buy one of them what if you lose the red <laughs> one do you gotta buy a whole new pair and just can <laughs> don't do it to me man that's gonna be gone in a day if you jinx me like that <laughs> all right well frank hopefully you don't lose them and report back every week on your airpod status but we have two more yeah. comments a quick one actually i just love i love when the comments are short and sweet which was from Vasya, uh, he or she says, more podcasts about the TPL, please. And we oh, can do wow. that. Oh, yeah, we can I do that. I love multi-threading. I'll yes. bore you to tears. <laughs> and the next one, though, is actually a question from John. John says, I don't recall which podcast it was on, but it was mentioned how GUIs are nicer than, or at least preferred over command oh. lines. And that is oh. <laughs> something that I probably said. Oh, that- I, I think I must have said it too. I, I firmly believe it. Um, I understand where everyone's coming from, but um, no, you're wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Gu- GUIs are superior. I, we can't do this in five minutes. <laughs> perfect. GUIs are superior. That's right. It's, it's correct. Well, he just asked like, you know, ideally he goes, he agrees mostly um, because command lines can be a pain. Not always, but usually he goes, ideally there would be both depending on your needs. You know, he goes on to say, talking about, you know, um, he was using tools to import access databases to SQL server. That sounds like fun. Um, mm-hmm. He does this multiple times a week. That sounds terrible. Um, 
he goes, he's migrating access to SQL Server over and over again. It'd be nice to have a command line interface so I don't actually import a database into the wrong SQL Server database. Uh-huh. I can say like Visual Studio is awesome with one button push and all that stuff, but at some time the automation and have it written down is a little bit nicer. Yeah, yeah and I, I'll have to agree with them because uh, one of my most favorite features that kind of left Visual Studio was you could quickly record a macro and just have it repeat a bunch of steps and save it away and do that. I know everyone's going to write in and say, the macro system's still there, but ever since the switch to .NET, it's just junk. It doesn't work. It's too slow. It's dumb. The old system was fantastic and very productive. So yes, um, apps, apps. It's great when you can script apps like that, um, or just a command line app is naturally scriptable. But at the same time, um, uh, what I think about is the majority of users, and I don't see anyone scripting apps. I don't script apps. Um, I just, yeah. Um, I'm not going to say I'm against it because obviously it's a good technique, but in general, it's just input. Am I tapping a key 30 times to enter a command or am I clicking one button? You know, the the less number of taps, the better. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I like when the command line is there. I mean, a good example of this is is Git, right? In general, I use a lot of GUI tools. Uh, However... I and know I how to I yell use, at you. <laughs> you yell at me. And you, here's what often happens for our listeners is I go, Frank, I'm at some point, I'm in such a state where my GUI tool has put me in a state <laughs> with all of my crazy submodules that I don't know what's going on because the submodules have submodules. <laughs> yeah. And at this point, how do I get, how do I just get back to the beginning? And I don't know. And then Frank sends me this magical Git command that like fixes everything. <laughs> um, yeah. What I would but, rather send you is a screencast of what buttons to click. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, to be honest, like, I mean, sometimes that's when the command line was written first, you know, and then the tool is just calling into it, but the tool is then trying to simplify it. So it is still good to know the command line of what you actually need to do to script it uh, in general. And, and I do really like a Git. I like to really get into it. And I often go in because sometimes the GUI tool is a little bit slow. So I just open up the the Git command when I do Git pull. Guess what? It's like doing that direct connect. It knows what I'm doing. It's not trying to sync yeah. it, do all this magical one button click do stuff. So I, I mean, I like both, to be honest with you, but like I'm not going to tweet via command line. So, you know, just. Yeah, uh, something, something keeps reoccurring to you. Have you ever heard that theory that the data model should match the user model in an app? Um, what it means is um, the way we store objects and all that, or object-oriented programmers and all that, should be semi pretty much directly reflected in the UI. So the way the user interacts with data should be approximately how the data is stored. If you have a big mismatch between them, if the way you store data and structure data is completely different from the way that you edit data, then you run into big errors and dissonance between them and bugs and inabilities for the user to accomplish certain tasks that they think should be possible but aren't because of this weird disconnect. And I feel like that somehow applies to um, command line interfaces versus GUIs. If your thing is manipulating objects and moving them from one place to another, then 100% it should be a GUI. If all you deal with, though, is text and names and lines, then maybe you should use a text and names and lines (laughs) interface. (laughs) That's true. That makes sense. That makes sense. Well, Frank, anything else you want to uh, crush into this episode or you want to wrap it up? Yeah, I think uh, tabs versus spaces would be a good one to bring up now. No. Okay. Tabs. Um, I got nothing. (laughs) All right, cool. Well, everyone, we love you so much for spending your morning 
afternoon or night with us here on Merge Conflict. And we love to hear from you. I already told you, you can go to mergeconflict.fm. You can subscribe. You can share the episodes with all of your loved ones or people that you don't love so much. Tell them all about the greatness, which is this episode. And be sure if you're using Apple Podcasts to leave us a review, that'd be awesome. We love it. It really helps not us, but also helps other people find the podcast. It's how Apple's crazy machine learning algorithm works of more people that not only subscribe to the episode, but also leave reviews and like it. It climbs the charts. More people find it naturally. And in fact, if you're using any other podcast app, make sure you subscribe to stay up to date on the latest and greatest. You can follow the show at mergeconflict.fm, me at James Montemagno on Twitter, at Proclarum over there on Twitter. And until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.